<clears throat> Last week, uh, Les Pierce shared with you, uh, I loved his message, I listened to it online, a lot of meat uh, in his message, worthy of listening to more than once. But really, the whole idea of his message was that uh, God calls us into his work, but it is his work. And he, he does his own work. We just participate in it. And he is the only one that can really do his work. And so he provides the calling, the purpose, the power, the timing, the opportunity. That God is at work in all of those things. And, and sometimes it's really difficult for us to get our arms around that. And uh, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when I was sharing, uh, God just giving me this dream. And as I, I reflect on this dream more, and it's, it's every day I'm reflecting on this dream. For those of you who were not here, I had a dream. Uh, the short version is uh, I was trying to get dressed. I was struggling, um, you know, wow, here we go again to get my pants on, um, and, and the reality was, it, you know, my wallet, my cell phone, all these things were kind of in the way, and, and also as I'm unloading these things, I also find uh, I have this gun, uh, this pistol in my pants, and, I, and I, I'm a, a little bit surprised by that. And, and as I take this pistol and there are other people, you know, it's kind of a men's dressing place, I kind of hid the pistol to put it out of the way. And that's when someone I know, someone actually from Columbia, a pastor, called my attention and he said, you're not ready. And I'm thinking, my pants are half down, I know I'm not ready. And, and he corrects me on that. He says, no, you're not ready and I knew it was not about my pants. Now you're humbled when God is bringing reality to you with your pants down. You're, you're humbled in that moment. But as I reflected on that, what am I not ready for? And this message really comes out of that getting ready, and it's removing the obstacles that prevent us from being those people who can and do walk with God in a way that's relevant to the world. The question is, it's, it's not about, the point is, it's not about is it relevant for you and your life, which is, I think, the way we look at our, our faith. Is it relevant for me and my life? The question is, is it relevant, period? Is it relevant beyond the sphere of who you are and your identity? Does your relationship with Jesus have any power external to your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your fears? And the idea of getting ready means we're getting ready in the world we live in, the place we live in, the reality that we exist in, the world as we know it. And as you will see, as I, as I work through this dream, the challenge for most of us is we are deeply, deeply steeped in our rights. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge that the word rights for most of us, what we don't realize is our rights, although we look at them as, as in essence, freedoms. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. I have the right that I don't have to do this. I have the right that I don't have to do that. But the truth is, rights is about the law. If you have a right to do something, then what you're saying is, I have a legal right to do this. I have a legal right that I don't have to do this. And we become people of the law. And when we hold other people, you cannot mess with my right. What we are invoking is the law in our, in our relationship, in our reality. We are saying the law is what I will depend on in this moment. The law is what I will grab a hold of. You can't make me do that. That's the law. We are reaching deep into the Old Testament to find our salvation we're reaching into the Old Testament, into an old and broken system for our protection, our safety, our success, all those things. We are grabbing 
for something that has nothing to do with what God is doing. For some of you, you will find a little relief in that. And for some of you, you will find it highly disturbing. Well, here's kind of where that goes. You see, the world is a law place. Humanity is a law people. That's kind of how we get along. We develop some laws, some social laws, criminal laws. We have norms. We have all kinds of things. You know, normally in a group setting, when we're standing with people talking, we do not pick our nose. Now, it's not a legal law, but it is a social norm, isn't it? And when somebody violates that, there is a fence in the room. You need to go somewhere else to do that. You need a tissue. You need a keeper. You need somebody that's going to help you not be weird and gross. That's the law. The world operates on laws. On one level, we like it. We like it. You know, we have, we have laws. I mean, if you think about it on a, on a road, and you know, you're going this way at 55 miles an hour on 332. Somebody else is coming this way at 55 miles an hour. And you're really not separated by that much, are you? You're not separated by a lot of space. And yet we are depending on the rules that that person is not going to try to occupy my space while I'm occupying my space. So you see, there are places that it makes us comfortable. But when God comes into our life, he is introducing something that goes beyond that. You see, that is the human element, the human practice. The challenge is, and it's my conviction that the urgency that God speaks to us today is that the world of the churchgoer is getting smaller and smaller. The Norman Rockwell reality is getting smaller and smaller. Now, you may not feel it in Lake Jackson, in Jones Creek, and down in Brazoria, uh, Brazosport, where on every corner there's a church of some kind. You cannot spit without hitting a church in this area. Now, we have plenty of crime, plenty of addiction, plenty of trouble, but we have no shortage of churches here. And so this area seems insulated, but I can tell you, in the rest of the U.S. and the rest of the world, it's becoming a more and more hostile place for a true believer. And I can promise you, scripturally, this is coming to your home. To act like, you know, we have this microcosm, this little world, where those hostilities will not come here is inaccurate. I get asked all the time, so if you have a gay couple in your church, are you going to marry them if they want to be married? What are my legal rights to not marry them? What if they come to our church married and they want to be in the married couples class? There's a lot of what ifs today. And you might have simple answers, but I can tell you they're not simple. That is our world, the place where you and I can try to create a bunker and put only people that are just exactly like me in my bunker with me. 
God help me, I would not want to be in a bunker with a lot of me's. But some people would. And your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and less relevant. Much of the church and its believers have made great efforts and a balancing act to enjoy both worlds. Have my faith and my God. He helps me clean up some things about me. He helps me try harder. He helps me be a better person. I still want to live the American dream. I want to have a job. I want to have a home. I want, I want, I want. You know, they're all good things. It doesn't mean you want to be rich. I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard somebody, I, I don't want to be rich. I just want, you know, a home and a family and a car that's paid for. And, you know, I just, I just want the basics. The basics anywhere else on the planet is big. It's huge. You see, the basics are not a right, according to the Scripture. Not even your freedom is a recognized right in the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture talks about serving two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, 25, Says, this is Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God and serve what's going to provide your American dream. You can't make both important. You can't find that happy balance between them. That though we try. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Most of us blaze past these scriptures because we don't know what to do with them. I mean, is God really saying, you know, you're hungry, get over it. You don't have any clothes for school, stop it. Isn't life more than that stuff? Most of us say, you know, to sustain life, we'd like to have some food. And I think it's pretty important, God. I think we can read past this, but what God is showing us here is what you think, what I think is normal, is not normal to him. And when we craft and direct our lives to make those things a guarantee, then he says, you are choosing the wrong master. When you direct your life so that these things are assured for you, you are serving the wrong master. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. I, I, am, I am not trying to bring condemnation on anybody, I am introducing you and me. Remember, I was the one that wasn't ready. He didn't give you that dream. I am introducing you to the reality that God says he is calling us to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we get another glimpse of this. Brothers, and this is Paul speaking. Brothers and sisters, I have not addressed you as people who live by the Spirit. Wow, he's saying, uh, I know you're spirit people, but I'm not talking to you like that right now because you're not doing that right now. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? See, jealousy is about rights. You're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. You're taking something that is mine. 
Jealousy is about rights. Quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? That's the phrase I want you to get today, mere humans. God is saying, I know what mere humans look like. I know how they behave. I know how they act. And when they're on their A game, they're kind to one another. They're gracious to one another. They give to one another. But they're still just living it out without me. You see, God is calling you and I beyond being just human. Have you ever heard that phrase, I'm only human? I'm only human. What do you expect? I'm only human. I was talking to somebody that because of neglect in a, in a, in a nursing home, their parent had died because of the neglect of the nursing home. And this person was angry. They were filled with resentment and hate. And they're a believer. A believer. A spirit person. And they got angry at me when I said, well, what would God want you to do here? I don't care what God wants me to do. What God should have done is not let that happen. What do you expect of me? I'm only human. I wonder what God thinks at that moment. So God say, you're right. My blood really didn't do anything. My love, my sacrifice really didn't produce anything beyond what you already had. You could love those who love you. You could hate those who hate you. My love produced nothing beyond the law. You see, God is raising up something that we might consider superhuman. And something I think that many of us think, wow, I I didn't sign up for that. And I might say, you kind of did. You see, superhumans are totally different than humans. Superhumans act totally different. They think totally different. Their attitude is totally different. It's what they practice. It's not necessarily just what you see. It's what they practice. They practice being above the law. When we think of above the law, we think of people who are cheating the law. But what God says, when you live above the law, then you are accomplishing what the law could not. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. I want you to hear this. This is superhuman. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Well, that's that's not right, is it? There's nothing right about that. That is not right. Right is about what's right. And what's right is you don't give somebody a big tip when they give you crappy service. That's not right. That violates the law. It's the law of service. Good service, good tip. Good word, good word. Nice blessing, nice blessing. Jack me, I jack you. 
Jack me, I ignore it once. Jack me twice, I jack you. I showed grace. I didn't get you on the first one. I let it go. I let the second one go. But the third one, you're going to own it. And I'm going to school you on how to jack someone. You hear the law? It's not superhuman. The problem with being not superhuman, or as Paul says, mere human, the problem with it is it just maintains the world for what it is today. It just maintains the world. It maintains what we have. It justifies these people bombing this people. You need to stop bombing them. They bombed us first. Why did you bomb them? Because they bombed us first. Well, why did you bomb them? Because they bombed us first. And what you find out is people have been hurting one another since the fall of man. How are you really going to go back and make this right? How are you going to go back and find the original sin, the original bomb, and say, okay, you're where it began. Now everything after this we can fix. And God said, here's how I did that. I did that with love. I overpowered the law with love. I stopped. And what God did, I want you to think about this way. Who stopped bombing first? And God would say, I did. I stopped bombing. Every day he looks at sin. Every day he looks at rebellion. But he doesn't bomb. I was talking to a group of pastors last weekend. People who get mad and leave. People you've invested in in your church. And they, they misjudge you and they leave. And, and then they go other places and they talk bad about you. And everybody's nodding their heads. And I thought, you know... We do that to God. He, he probably says, you know how many times a day people walk off from me, talk bad about me, reject me? God says, it happens thousands of times a day for me. I know what it's like, Bill. I know what it's like to invest love and grace and peace and all kinds of honorable things to someone, only that they... they for one question they can't resolve, they walk away. I know what it's like, Bill. And I don't fire the bombs. You see, superhumans, they thrive in injustice. They don't crumble under it. It's how you know they're superhumans. It's how you can tell them. Not only that, it's how the world can tell them. The world may not know how to describe it, but they know that ain't human. And when they say that, now God has an audience. When we choose not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but we give a blessing instead. First Peter 2, 19 through 21, we see suffering for doing good. That's not right, is it? That's just not right. Verse 19, for God is pleased. Oh, look at that word. He is pleased. He is excited. He is impressed 
when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased. You know what he's saying? Now, that is superhuman, Bill. I love that deal right there. With, with no payback, you surrendered the law. You moved into injustice the same way my son did. You're superhuman today, Bill. Today, great work was done. I was talking with someone this week who felt a conviction uh, to help a, a basically a stranger. But that cost this person. And it really ripped at their patience. And I believe what this person didn't know is how much God was doing with that investment. You see, we don't always see how injustice produces in the kingdom. How when we endure injustice, it produces in the kingdom. It always produces in the kingdom. Always. Whether we see it or not. Now, I had the opportunity to see the fruit of that that this person did not. But I'm impressed with the sacrifice and I'm impressed with God. You see, we are called to thrive in this world and to surrender the one saving tool the world offers you, and that's your rights. We're going to surrender the one thing that protects us, defends us, gives us a shot at the American dream. We're going to do it because God asked us to. That's superhuman. I was getting ready to uh, go to Mexico for this uh, pastor's retreat. Last Thursday morning, we were leaving. Melinda and I were, if you travel enough, it seems like you pack later and later and later. So we're leaving so Thursday morning. We're packing Sunday morning. And, and we're running late. And I'm, uh, I'm a little frustrated we're running late. <clears throat> and we had taken our clothes to the laundry and uh, they were in this big basket in our living room floor at our apartment. And I wanted to get a shower before we went on this trip. I went into the shower, and there were no clean towels. I'm frustrated. I go out to the laundry basket. I'm trying to get a towel. I'm digging, digging, digging. Towels are at the very bottom. Thank you. Aw. I'm frustrated more. They're at the bottom. They're all the way at the bottom. Wouldn't you know it? They couldn't be at the top. They're at the bottom. And I felt like the Spirit spoke to me right then. That's it. Do you hear it? And I'm thinking, hear what? Do you hear you? You are fortunate enough that somebody else did your laundry for you. And it's all right here, neatly folded and clean, right here in front of you. And you have clothes. Not only that, you have clean clothes. And somebody else did it for you. And your towel is just that far away. It's that far. 
and listen to you. Your entitlement, your rights, it should have been on the top of the clothes. Why? Because I want it there, because I deserve it, because it puts me out to reach that far. And I felt like the Lord said, Bill, you do this a thousand times a day. A thousand times a day, you embrace your rights. You want to be ready? Surrender those thousands. Don't worry about the big stuff. Let's work on the little stuff, and you'll be ready. In that moment, my heart was just flooded. Right there, all this happened in seconds. My heart is flooded with gratitude. I have a clean towel, and it's only that far away. I can reach it like that. The blessing of someone else doing our laundry. My whole heart was changed. And in that moment, I was spirit led. In that moment, I became superhuman. I was grateful. <clears throat> the Lord has started catching me at all these places. I mean, you know, I, can, I really do consider myself a pretty good Christian. I do. And if you're around me, I think you would not see me as this overt complainer. I think you would not hear me as a bad person. I think I'm a good human. but I'm not superhuman, not yet. The Lord is catching me at all these places. Like, here's one of my favorites. I'm behind this car, and they are just timing it so you catch the, red, the full red light going down this street. I mean, it's three red lights. It's taken us 20 minutes to go through three red lights. You hear my tone? I'm like, ah. Oh. You're killing me here. And the Spirit stops me. What does that mean, Bill? This life-death moment you're invoking. What is this curse you seem to like bringing on yourself every few minutes? You're killing me. What is that? Who's giving you these words? He says, are that those words from me? Do you think the Holy Spirit is telling you, please invoke the you're killing me comment here? You see, what that is is a protest because I feel like my rights are being violated. I can time these lights where I don't have to stop at all. The Spirit looks at every moment very differently than a human. The Spirit looks at a moment very different than a human. And God's encouragement, God's challenge is, will you allow yourself to be Spirit-led or do you want to remain mere human? When I say superhuman, I'm really saying a Spirit-filled human a spirit-led human. That person will stand out in this world. And even the times when I have a comment on the inside, I'm not using it, I'm still operating in the mere human. Do you see the problem? The problem is here a thousand times a day. It becomes just a feeding center for rights. 
Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So when I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, your rights. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You hear that? You're not free. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law. The law says, I have to complain. The law says, I can't tip for bad service. The law dictates when I must be angry with you. And the law dictates when you must be angry with me. So I am not free. The spirit and the law are always competing for your loyalty and mine. Galatians 5, starting with verse 22, a little further down. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See what it says here? There is no law against these things. What the Spirit desires to produce in you is the nature of God himself. And you're never going to get that with, you're killing me. You're never going to get love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, meekness, self-control from invoking your rights. You will never get them. But if you're willing to surrender your rights and you're willing to allow God to intercept and intervene in every thought you have. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me, but it's been good. I don't know if it's a thousand times a day, but it might be. When my thought, I get a thought, and the Spirit challenges do you think that's from me? You know, most of the time I think I know. No, I don't think that's from you. Yeah, that, that's from you. I actually know. What the Spirit produces is superhuman. The Spirit always produces superhuman. You see, when the world knows you as someone of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or meekness, a person of self-control, the world will take notice. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, we have an interesting statement here. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives right now in this complicated, difficult age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from mere humanity, my words, from the wickedness and to purify for himself, here it is, a people that are his very own. A people. He's after a people that are his very own. He's after a people that look and respond like him. He is out to create superhumans. Humans who are led by the Spirit, thereby producing the presence of God. That's what he's after. That's his pursuit. We think of him as out to rescue the world, and he is. But his method is, allow me to speak into your heart, into your mind. Allow me to nudge you the correct way. Allow me a voice in yourself that is a very different voice. And you will be people that appear superhuman. God is after a people that are his very own. Mere humans who are just humanity tend to be I-concentric. That just means I is in the middle. And that makes sense because that's your vantage point of the entire world is from you. I mean, I don't see the world through Alex's eyes, through Rick's eyes. I don't, I don't see the world through their eyes. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the ability to feel what you feel, to sense what you sense. But I have some ability about me, or at least I think I do. So it's easy for me to be me-concentric. But it's just human. You see, with God and with the Spirit leading me, I become God-concentric. God is in the middle. And it will look very different. So uh, let me show you what it looks like. Uh, Karina, can you come up here? All right. Um, <clears throat> Carlos. As long as you're superhuman. Okay. <clears throat> See, here's the deal. Now, Carlos here has repented, and he wants to be superhuman. And now he's said, God, I want to put you in the center of my life. Okay? That's what he's saying. Um, now, I'm, I'm just for this moment, if you'll forgive me, I'll tell you what, we're going to make Karina. Karina's going to be God for just a minute. Okay. So now Carlos is willing to focus on God and, and, and be aware of God and... and, and you know, love God and all those things. All right, so here's the deal. Actually, I'm going to be God. I never get to play God. All right, so I'm going to be God. This is going to work out for you. Wait and see. All right, so, so Carlos is deciding, I am going to be superhuman. Uh, I'm not going to operate in my flesh. I'm going to let the Spirit have final say-so in my decisions, my thoughts, my understandings, my ideals, everything. When I look at a person I don't like, immediately I'm going to know I'm going to consult the Spirit. When I want to rage at someone, immediately I know I'm going to consult the Spirit. I always want to go for what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit is saying, and I know that's possible because God made a way for that to be possible. That's what Carlos is thinking all that right now. Okay. Right? It's not. <laughs> yeah, right. Just work with me here. All right. So he does that. All right. So I want you to kind of stand right there. All right. And so for those listening, I just have him to my right. Karina's kind of in front of me. And uh, so now he's turning, and he's facing me. He's giving me his attention. So now I can speak to him, 
He's superhuman now. I can say, you know, go love this person. Uh, go heal this person. Go say something kind to this person. Uh, go love your enemy. I can do anything I want because now he's willing to do whatever I say, no matter how crazy it is. And so he says, I'm willing to love you, God. I'm willing to, love you. I'm willing to serve you, God. I'm willing to, you. I'm willing to do whatever you're talking about, God. Now, all the time he's talking to me, here's what I'm doing. Good, Carlos. Very good. Just keep going. You see, what he does is God begins to shift the landscape, and he puts other people in his place to receive that love, that grace. So that all the things that you are willing to do for God, God is saying, would you be willing to do that for a person of my choice? For the bad waiter? For the person who nicked your car? You see, God is always saying, yes, yes, keep it coming. And then the first thing he wants to do is put somebody there that needs that because God is always at work. He's always at work. And you see, when he gets you operating superhuman, he's going to make sure humans get some of that. doesn't mean that we're worshiping other people. It means that God has decided to use people in a very practical way and put them right in the line of your love. But you see, we don't like that. You know why? Because we're willing to love God and serve God because he's perfect. But the other person doesn't deserve it, do they? We're willing to love God because he is love. And supposedly he has never jacked you, right? We're willing to think that way. But if you put a person there who is imperfect, that's not who God is. And now how do I love the imperfection like I love perfection? And God says, because you're superhuman. That's how you love your enemy. You see, we want to invoke our rights when it's someone less than God I have no obligation to love them like I love God. So you see, Carlos replaces Karina with me. And what we know is he's willing to love me, but not enough to follow me because I love her in a sacrificial way. But every time I try to get him to care about her in a sacrificial way. He doesn't want to because she doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. Well, Karina probably does, but thank you. Where is it? In my pocket. Thank you. Not that I can't read it, but I read it better. Humanity always monitors our position compared to those around us. And the Spirit always monitors other people compared to God's will and call. That's superhuman. We can't do that without without the Spirit. We can't do any of this without the Spirit. We're done with this. God can do everything in your life I just mentioned to you. And it's his desire. We would allow the Spirit 
to challenge the voice that carries us through the day. That the Spirit could begin to train you and I in the little things. In the battles that go on here and here. Because it's in those moments we train for the big things. You see, when a thousand times a day the flesh has the greater voice, most of the time we don't even see the opportunities the Spirit gives. And if they're there, they're overwhelming. God's desire today is, will you let him speak to you about your towel? Will you let him become a serious and a prominent voice in your soul? Do you believe that God is powerful enough and capable enough and willing enough? Do you believe he's powerful enough, capable enough, and willing enough to make you superhuman? Or do you just think you're just, you know, a struggling follower? That's his question today. Do you believe he can and he will? Are you willing to let him do it? <clears throat> if we could stand. <clears throat>